What is up, everyone? Welcome to my podcast, Legit Cool, where I recap, review, analyze, rank movies and TV series. I'm your host, River Billy, and thank you for popping in and supporting my show. Today's episode is on Denis Villeneuve's latest epic large-scale sci-fi June 2021. I mean, that's not the whole title, it's Dune Bracket 2021. <laughs> Before I get into this episode, if you are new to this channel, then thank you so much for jumping in, and believe it or not, you have actually struck gold for movie reviews. Um, no, but seriously, stay, because you actually might like it. Just to give you a bit of a rundown, how I run these episodes, I spend about 15 minutes or so, today's one's probably going to be about 15 minutes, where I give you a spoiler-free rundown. And then for the rest of the episode, I dive into a really deep, spoiler-heavy, analytical review. But I'll give you a warning. If you haven't actually seen this movie, I'll give you a warning when I'm going to get into the spoiler-heavy section. But, you know, why would you be listening to this episode if you hadn't really seen it, right? I mean, it's nice to get somebody's perspective and impression um, just so you can get a peep at how people feel about this movie but i mean you can also see that on the internet as well anyway i digress um <laughs> if you're a frequent listener welcome back thank you for your continued support i do really appreciate it and don't forget to hit the notifications button you can do that on all the streaming platforms i'm on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts podbean which is where i host all my shows um and yeah hit the notification button so you know when the next episode is going to drop so doing 2021 um hmm what i think about this movie it was great <laughs> no no I'm, I'm 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 kind of joking a little bit there i'm being a little bit facetious but before i actually get into it let me just spit some facts about this movie it is directed by academy award nominee Denis Villeneuve best known for his work on Blade Runner 2049 which was uh which won best cinematography and best visual effects at the 2018 Oscar Awards and also his movie Arrival which won best sound editing at the 2017 Academy Awards uh of its eight nominations Dune is his 16th film as a director and is currently working on the sequel as of this recording by the way it wasn't actually previous knowledge or especially when it came out this movie is based on the first half of a stellar sci-fi fiction fictional novel dune which is written by frank herbert and it came out in 1965 this movie has a budget of 165 million dollars as of this recording the 4th of december it has made 374 million 247 dollars worldwide at the box office this movie has a runtime of 2 hours and 35 minutes. It came out October 22nd, but released here in Australia on the 2nd of December due to the pandemic. This is the third attempt at filming Dune after the poorly received adaptation from David Lynch, followed by Alejandro Jodorowsky, who also tried but never really happened. And now we have Denis Villeneuve's version. Uh, so this movie is about Paul Atreides, a brilliant and young gifted man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people as malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence 
Only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. Whew. With the most expensive cast run of 2021 movies, the cast includes Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Jason Momoa, Zendaya, Charlotte Rampling, David Bautista, Javier Bardem, Sharon Duncan Brewster, Stephen Henderson, Chen Chang, and David Dasmalchian. Oh, that was a lot to get through. Um, yeah, so this um, this movie is actually super interesting. And why I say it's super interesting because Denis Villeneuve is actually a director that I think is one of the best working directors today alongside Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan is my favorite director of all time. Um, pretty much love every single every single movie he's written and directed. And Denis Villeneuve is... He's not a close second for favorite directors of all time for me, but he's definitely one of the best working directors today. He has made some outstanding movies. Obviously, Blade, Blade Runner 2049, which, by the way, I wasn't a huge fan of, but I did appreciate all the technical aspects that molded that film together, especially cinematography in that movie. The cinematography is insane in that um and good on them and right rightfully so they won the oscar award in 2018 for that but yeah blade blade runner 2049 is great arrival is also really good too but actually my favorite movie he's made so far is probably prisoners yeah uh, prisoners is is a crazy crazy movie really really dark and you have to be in a certain mood to watch that but it's absolutely excellent but this is not a review about prisoners. Maybe I'll do that later at, in some kind of retrospective review saga of Logical. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's 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 a great director and he's got vision to execute. Um, he knows how to paint a picture that demonstrates real worlds or real, real scenarios and... Um, real characters i think his yeah he's his vision is just it's undeniable when you see it on screen you immediately know that this guy is a masterful filmmaker so so going back to what i was saying about how i think this is an interesting one for me because because i i think denis villeneuve is super talented he knows exactly what he's doing and he just has the eye for great direction however in dune Dune is, it, it's an okay movie for me. I, I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's really good. I don't think it blew my mind or I didn't think it inspired, inspired me and it didn't make me think a lot about the movie after it. Now, I'll elaborate a lot more, of course, and once I get into the spoiler-heavy part, I'm going to definitely elaborate on things that really worked and things that didn't quite work um some things that they present that don't quite land and all that type of stuff but you know straight off the bat the this movie at its core well, uh, maybe i shouldn't say that i don't think it's at its core but i'll say the at its best it's it's when we we get introduced to the world building aspect right um the world building aspect is it's really vast and there's a lot of exposition but not with the use of dialogue there's a lot of um let's say visual exposition that happens throughout this 
entire movie, but especially in the first half of the film, uh, we're just we're we're given this massive tapestry of visual exposition, which I which is something I really appreciate, and I think that's where the movie is the most comfortable is it, or it feels the most comfortable when it's bathing in its own kind of um, let's say visual indulgence. Uh, but but I say that in a good way, obviously. So yeah, it's at its best when it's when it's really honed in on these very focused camera shots, very steady, and you know not a lot of movement in the wide shots that get displayed in this. But it's all in an attempt to really show the scale of this tale. Scale of this tale? Oh, I rhymed. Lame. <laughs> to really show the scale of this epic story. And also where the story is situated on these random planets that we've never even, well, that I've never heard of, because um, they're not real. Duh. <laughs> um, these these sort of fictional planets that exist, and it just does so well at painting the picture of this world building aspect. And the other the other great thing about about this world building part is that the the way he scales everything all the big objects the the human and not so human characters just scaling those um compositions as well as like the vastness of space and the planet itself i i sort of immediately think man imagine if star wars was filmed on this kind of scale and um <laughs> Don't be offended, Star Wars nerds. I am also a Star Wars nerd as well. But I just think, it was with the with the guidance of someone like Denis Villeneuve and the DOP for this, the cinematographer, his name is Greg Fraser. This guy is a genius. I think these guys, if they continue to work together on large scale sci fi movies, I can't see why um, why Disney wouldn't pick up like someone like Denis Villeneuve or even Greg Greg Fraser again. Greg Fraser actually did Rogue One. Um, the yeah, Rogue One, the Star Wars story, the spinoff, which by the way is my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Um, and before you shout into um, your own microphones or your own headphones, uh, I can explain later why Rogue One is actually the best Star Wars movie. Maybe I do a retrospective review, who knows? Um, but nonetheless, yeah, Denis Villeneuve and Greg Fraser they just matched up their skills and they showed us how large we can actually get with filmmaking on these super fictional planets it's really incredible and i was immersed in this whole filmmaking experience so th that's what i mean about how this movie is interesting because the contrast to how i felt about that aspect of the movie the contrast is that there's just things that just don't really work for me right these things that don't really work for me in the sense of characters Right, the characters are the, the characters are good. They're, they're all playing their part. They're all pieces to a massive chess game that all have relevant attributes or let's say relevant responsibilities of being a part of the story. No doubt they do. No one's ever really wasted on screen. Um, no one's really taken up too much space. That's not really my critique. My critique is more so the connection that I should feel to characters when we're watching a movie. If we want to feel emotionally involved, then a big part of a great film is that there's characters that we actually do connect with and that we care about tremendously. 
in this we do, like i don't really have that connection and I, I don't really feel anything for them if one of the characters die and or if maybe even the main characters died it wouldn't actually matter so much because i'm not really connecting on him on him or her on that kind of level so that's a little bit of a disappointment because i'm pretty sure most of you listening would agree that great movies are sort of complemented by great characters that we can emotionally connect with we go on this journey with them we figure out what problems are in their way and then we we journey with them to figure out a solution to those problems so we don't really get that i mean there is a classic character arc that happens with most of the characters not all of them but most of the characters there is some arc that happens throughout the story but they're not arcs in which i'm like okay i'm gonna be so sad when you die kind of thing <laughs> it wasn't really that kind of arc that i can yeah emotionally connect to so so that's what i mean when i say it's an interesting one because the technical side of filmmaking is a master it's a master class in filmmaking for sure there is no doubt about that from cinematography to sound editing to score which is done by Hans Zimmer i mean Hans Zimmer every time that guy does every time that guy scores movies like i swear he just wants to be like the biggest person in the room because <laughs> like it's it almost dominates the movie every single time like uh, maybe that's his strength you know the strength of Hans Zimmer is that his score is actually a real character in the film right it's the presence is felt and i think this is actually the most hans zimmer we've ever gotten a film to be honest like some could probably say that the dark knight movies there's a lot of hans zimmer in that and for sure no nobody's wrong about that but this seems like a lot of hans zimmer there's so much hans zimmery going on in this movie and you'll know what i'm talking about if you once you see the movie if you haven't already seen it yet um yeah so everything from those aspects to this musical score cinematography um even to the writing i think writing the story itself uh to be adapted onto screen i think they've done a great job with that so there's definitely masterful filmmaking happening in this it's just the only thing that the movie suffers from is characters that i actually really care about um and for the most part all the characters are pretty stoic they're pretty serious they're pretty like you know they're pretty almost like 2d rather than 3d characters and they're, they're not bad performances the performances are absolutely amazing with the characters that are given they're all they're all performing their heart outs on screen you know everybody's maybe just performing to their best ability to get that oscar award or, or nomination or something um yeah so like there's nothing wrong with the performances the characters is just kind of what i have a problem with and clearly this is actually coming from the books itself uh, maybe the books itself doesn't have that depth of um characterness that we normally feel in films i could be wrong there i've never read the book so if you're an expert in the dune novels then by all means just shut me down right now and maybe there's a disconnection between characters that you actually feel in the books versus what you see on screen but um there, there is there is something that kind of offsets that and that offset is basically down to the fact that this movie is enormous there is huge huge things happening you know like i said in the synopsis this is really about um 
a guy called Paul Atreides, who's played by Timothy Chalamet. Um, it's really about him and the visions that he gets for what his future is going to turn out to be. Um, and how he is a part of a, a family or a house, they call them house or something like that. Um, there's various houses that exist within the Dune story. And the house that he's from is called the House, house of Treaties. And his father, played by Oscar Isaac, his name is uh, Duke Leto Atreides. His father is um, sort of sent on a mission from the Imperium, Im Emperor or something like that. There's like a long name to this Emperor. He's sent on a mission to take over the House Harkonnen, uh, which was the race that was governing or colonizing or something of that effect, the planet Arrakis. Um, and so... <clears throat> So, you know, T Timothy Chalamet's character, Paul, he's getting these visions of Arrakis and, and a particular girl uh, played by Zendaya um, in his visions. And he's trying to figure out what these visions mean. Like he, he sees that these visions are actually a future. At first he thinks it's his dreams, but, um, but it's actually just like some kind of um, uh, prophetic vision or something like that, something of that effect. I don't want to give away too much because this is still the spoiler free part. Um, it, so it's all centered around him really while other things are happening at the same time there's, there's all sorts of like political corruption that's happening there's a, a push to have power there's, um, there's a bunch of conflict that's happening across the houses and people just want to rule in certain aspects um, so there's, there's massive large scale things happening in this film while while we're sort of focused on what Paul Atreides is doing and what his visions mean. And this whole movie is really just... Like, Denis Villeneuve focuses on this one aspect to the story, which is apparently part one. And we're, um, we're told that at the beginning of the film, it says Dune part one. And so it's, it's already... It's already assumed that there's going to be a part two, so I wonder what part one's going to be about. And then as we get to see, the story just unfolds to be two things, really. Like, you got the main plot, which is um, the House of House of Atreides wanting to take over the House Harkonnen under direction from the Emperor to uh, manage and and farm all the um, spice resources on this planet called Arrakis. So that's like the main main plot, and the subplot to this is, or I should, sorry, I should say that that's the subplot, and the main plot to this is uh, focused on Paul Atreides and his visions and how he actually wants to go on this journey to see this vision fully realized. Um, yeah, so. Just given that aspect, there's there's not really a lot that happens on screen while also them filling up the whole two hour and thirty five minute runtime. It's kind of strange. It's kind of, like they they drag out so many scenes, and I'm not necessarily saying that the scenes that get dragged out are kind of a bad thing, but they are scenes that I felt could be way shorter. Um, it was just. The only thing that was really keeping me in these scenes being dragged out is the sheer fact that this the uh, 
the scope and the cinematography and the color grading and the and the editing was just spectacular it's really hard to take your eyes off the screen but then i sort of had to think to myself is there's not really much happening in these scenes they're just they're really they're really trying to drag these scenes out and <laughs> and the more i think about it the more i kind of get frustrated at the fact that there's not really a lot that happens in these scenes there's there's definitely conflict that arises in kind of small uh or let's say tiny scenarios um and they all kind of compile on top of each other and eventually we get to that kind of massive um breakout of a war that happens about 90 minutes into the movie um which is a great great battle sequence by the way and it's it's incredible the way that whole scene is actually shot out it's you know Denis Villeneuve and his cinematographer just go they go apeshit on on the way they want to shoot this um and it's done so well and there's so many wide shots that you get to see everything while also while also uh, kind of seeing the details of that wide lens shot of the action set pieces but we also don't quite see it because the whole idea is to see how vast this war is going on so that's really cool um there's just there's there's just like the movie feels empty while also being filled i i don't know if i'm making sense here but it's there's definitely there's definitely a lot that it's setting up for in part two and, and because the movie starts off by displaying that this is dune part one I'm sort of thinking how much of part one is how much of part one is underdeveloped in, in the sense of its story and its characters. I mean, I knew the movie was two hours and thirty-five minutes. I was thinking, is this gonna be maybe kind of like a fellowship of the ring type type thing where they they set up the premise for the entire trilogy, they set up the characters, they set up the mission for these characters, and um and then that's really about it and then after seeing it i'm kind of like thinking yeah it's kind of like fellowship but it but instead in fellowship i actually felt something for the characters and i actually felt like i connect on a very personal level with the characters whereas in this i'm like yeah everyone's really stoic nobody knows how to tell a joke and there's not a lot of levity i think the only kind of lightness that that comes into this movie is in the form of Duncan Idaho, played by Jason Momoa, he's probably like the most the lightest character per se in the way he just presents himself. But he's not really that light. He's a soldier. He's like a foot soldier for the House of Treaties. So um, when he's on screen, he's kind of delightful. There is a little bit of liberty there. So it's nice to, to break up that monotony. But I think the movie really suffers due to the fact that there's no liberty there's no break from any of the seriousness there's nothing to break up that tension and you feel this tension all the way through and by the time you get to the end of it you're like you kind of have to take a deep breath i'm like oh that was that was a lot of seriousness to take into one movie <laughs> um but you know like i said all the the performances are great oscar isaac is great as duke leto atreides i think this guy oscar isaac should probably take more on these roles where there's a huge responsibility on his shoulders as a leader to a society he's really convincing to be a leader like he shows great aspects of being a a father while also being a leader to millions is it millions of people i don't know it's like lots of people it doesn't seem like millions of people at least 
Um, and, you know, Josh Bolan plays a character called Gurney Halleck, who is also one of the first soldiers of the House Atreides. He's like the right-hand man to um, Duke Leto Atreides. You know, all of these guys are great. They all did a great job. And all of them had something to do. It just didn't feel like it was enough things for them to do, given the runtime and the amount of screen time that each character gets. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I, actually, the only other pos- positive thing that I do want to say about this is, um, what's her name? Okay, so there's a character called Gaius Helen Mohame. Is it Gaius Helen Mohame? I think she, she's the character that's like this reverend mother or something who has these kind of mystical, magical powers. Or so it seems like, like they have like telekinesis or something like that. It's, it's kind of crazy. So she, that's a character that Paul Atreides meets in the film. And we're supposed to be given this exposition about how, how or why he could be the chosen one given the powers that he has and all that type of stuff. I thought that was a really cool scene and it added more depth to Timothy Chalamet's character. I really appreciated that. Um, and then that sort of goes towards all the other characters having some kind of chemistry with each other. That's what I think was really appreciative about this. Oh, and one last thing, actually, the, the way, the way they shoot different planets and showing where the houses come from, they all come from their own respective planets. And there's, there's such a deliberate switch in tone, color, and photography when they go from one planet to another oh my god it's just you actually feel like you're in a different planet other than the fact that i mean other than other than like other films or other sci-fi films where everything just looks same same you know just apart from that maybe the furniture is different and the sky looks a little bit different but the color palette seems to have the same kind of hazy paste if you know what i mean maybe you don't um but the way they shot this and this is going back to the power of um greg fraser and his team the cinema the dop and also denise um vision they went out of their way to make these planets look vastly different and that's what i really loved about it so um yeah i mean that's all i really want to say in this kind of spoiler free section to the episode but the, the movie's okay it's nothing that I, like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's nothing that I want to jump for joy for. It's nothing that I felt really inspired by the end of it, other than, I mean, if there's any inspiration to take away from it, it's really just the filmmaking aspect. But um, in regards to its story and its characters, um, it's just okay. It's it's not something that I'm going to rank as my top in 2021. Or maybe it could be because there's not a lot of great movies in 2021. (laughs) Um, So that's it for my spoiler-free review. I'm now going to get into spoiler-heavy, so make sure you just switch off this episode if you haven't actually seen the film. Uh, Put it on pause and come back to this episode and take a listen. Okay, the first thing that I want to get off my chest is Zendaya had no reason to be in here. She's basically in the movie for like a whole five minutes. (laughs) <laughs> it's super annoying um i get it's it's a part of it's a part of uh, paul atreides and his uh character journey i get that she has to be she has to be some kind of figure to connect why he's going to be uh going on this mission to 
to look for Zendaya. But she's practically just in all those dream sequences or prophetic visions. And then by the time we actually meet her, is actually not till like the last 15 minutes or last 10 minutes. I just felt like it was such a waste of a character. Someone like she's not the most expensive actor in this whole cast run, but expensive enough to sort of think that she's only really in it for memories or for prophetic visions. I so I thought that was kind of annoying and she didn't really need to be in this. And and before you dis- start disagreeing because you're a big fan of the Dune novels and you know everything about these characters, I hear I I hear you and I and I know I know that's probably not the case because that's just the way Paul Atreides is supposed to be. But then but then my issue therefore becomes the choices down to filmmaking, right? If Zendaya had to be part of this because she plays a vital role towards Paul Atreides' development, then rather than just having her in prophetic visions, why not speed up the process and get Paul Atreides and and Chani, that's the name of the character that Zendaya plays, um, to meet earlier on in the film and then continue that journey below it and then, I, I mean, this is kind of an ignorant critique in a way because maybe this is what happens in part two. I mean, I have no doubt it's going to happen in part two, clearly from the end. But it's like, well, if you want to make me feel like this connection is true, then give me some time or give us some time to develop that throughout the start to finish. And there's ways that you can subdue that that whole arc between the two of them and that chemistry between the two of them there's a way that you can subdue it without having it to become the main focal point and then losing its ability to become fully developed so to speak in part two i don't know like maybe just rewrite that whole thing it just seemed like such a waste i'm like wow zendaya is like she's a great actress and i love her in spider-man she plays a perfect mj and she's only really in this for freaking prophetic visions slash dreams or whatever they are so I thought that was super disappointing. <laughs> um, uh, crazy thing is, they, they, I can't believe they actually kill half the cast in this. Didn't even know that was going to happen, clearly, because I haven't read the books. And if you've read the books, then if there's is accurate to part one, or half of the book, then you clearly know who's going to die. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's it sort of goes back to my problem that I spoke about in the spoiler-free section. My problem of never having a connection with these characters they i wouldn't it wouldn't matter if they died and now we know they actually die like heaps of them die it's what's his name so um duke leto atreides played by oscar isaac he dies josh Brolin dies um oh sorry josh Brolin doesn't die we actually don't even see him die <laughs> so no sorry he's not dead jason momoa dies um who else dies uh david dust uh das Malchian, he also dies um it's kind of crazy like they all kind of die um when paul atreides and his mom uh lady jessica who played by Je- uh, rebecca ferguson you know we're all really led up into the we're sort of baited into this point where uh, by the end of it rebecca and and timothy they're in the desert on their way to the next part um and what which is going to be part two <laughs> they they escape the whole battle sequence because they manage to get out of it they get info the whole house gets infiltrated by harkonnen harkonnen and uh they get some help from 
another race called the Sadalka. I don't even know how to pronounce these names. Because um, it turns out that the Harkonnen were actually still working for the Emperor. The Emperor was um, setting up a trap for the House Atreides. And so um, House Harkonnen ended up coming back to um, Arrakis to infiltrate and attack them at night. And, yeah, and like I said before, the attack and that whole bad sequence, it's amazing to watch. And so during that time, Timothy and Rebecca, they managed to escape um, narrowly um, while they're getting infiltrated by all the Harkonnen soldiers. And they get into the desert, they they try and swift their way through uh, without getting caught by the massive worm-eating sandworms or whatever they're called. Which, by the way, looks amazing. Like, visual effects just is crazy on point. It looks super realistic. I wouldn't be surprised if these guys actually won visual effects. It's, it looks really damn impressive. Um, yeah, they're in the desert, and they're trying to escape in some kind of subtle way without attracting the sandworms. And the sandworms, they respond to, like, vibration or sound or something like that um and like the the rest of the film is just really them going to the desert and trying to trying to go somewhere um trying to get to a point where timothy T timothy's uh visions are leading him kind of thing and then they they manage to come across the fremen they have this little altercation between each other and then there's a little bit of a connection that happens between him and Zendaya once she finally comes onto screen and then they just keep venturing into the desert into some other place and the film just ends with them saying with Zendaya's character saying this is only the beginning and I'm like oh really <laughs> I felt like the the film should have just ended right there the story should just end it I don't know. I mean, you know, if, if part two comes out and it becomes a far more fleshed out, developed um, story, then I don't know, maybe they just put it all into one movie. I don't know. Who knows? It's just it just seemed like there was a lot of there was a lot of taunting of great story and great epicness and battles and conflict, political conflicts between massive parties across different planets and and the push for power and domination onto this one desert planet called Arrakis because they, they're wanting to farm that really precious resource known as the spice in the sand. It's like there's a lot of there's a lot of hand gesturing going on, right? But very little things happening. <laughs> it's just a lot of hand gesturing. So um, the other, you know, the other character that supposedly dies in this is Stellan Skarsgård. You know what scene I'm talking about? Like he gets poisoned from Oscar Isaac um, releasing that poisonous breath that he that is from a tooth that he has to bite down on, given by his doctor, played by Chin Chang. When he releases that toxin, you just think that every single person died in that room for sure. And then Stellan Skarsgård's character, the floating villain or whatever it is baron vladimir harkonnen <laughs> what a name baron vladimir harkonnen he's like this floating villain i don't even know why he can float it's so weird i mean that's kind of unexplained it's the same as every other harkonnen soldier they can all float for some crazy reason we don't know why there's no explanations around any of the the powers and abilities of the different races 
which I kind of saw as a little problem, but didn't bother me too much. Um, it was just at one point I was like thinking, how do these races even have these powers? It's kind of unexplained. Anyway, so we think that he dies, but then really he just, he's like um, cradled up into the roof of a corner or something, just hiding away. And then he goes into recovery mode in like exfoliating mud bath <laughs> and then comes out and he's fine again. So it's like, okay, I guess he has to move on to the next film. Who knows? But um, there's just, there's, there's a lot of great looking things on here with a great looking cast. But just like I said, and I'm going to keep saying this, there's, there's nothing that really happens other than the conflict eventually erupts. And Duke Leto Atreides finds out the truth behind this whole thing. He's been set up by the Emperor um, just so the Emperor can actually get the spice. I mean, this is the the thing that was unknown about the story. And maybe I missed it. I don't know. It's like, why would the Emperor go out of his way to remove the Harkonnen, who was already residing and kind of governing or colonizing uh the planet arrakis why remove them bring in house of treaties just so they can try and harvest the spice i mean i, I probably missed a point there but maybe it was a point where i just kind of tuned out but i didn't understand why they would do that only to eventually infiltrate arrakis and take down the house of treaties i'm like okay you only did that so you could get the resource the spice why couldn't the Harkonnen get the spice? Maybe the Harkonnen don't have the technology or the resources to be able to get the spice. I don't know. I was kind of confused about that. And yeah, maybe I did miss it. And if I did, then I'm not doing a very good job of reviewing this. But um, it just seems so strange that that the Emperor would go through all of that just to really get the spice when the Emperor could have just got the Harkonnen to get the spice as well. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> It seemed like a very weird choice. And I just thought it was... I brought it down to just bad storytelling. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, tension builds up and and everybody's just... Everybody is attacking each other. Not Well, all the houses are attacking each other. And um, the, the race that seems to get little attention, if not um, all the attention, is the Fremen, who are the native... Who are the native uh species no the native the native people of the uh planet arrakis they don't really get much attention in this and this is kind of what i felt a little bit bummed about is that if paul atreides is getting these visions from um getting these prophetic visions seeing zendaya's character who is also a fremen then why not we paying more attention to the fremen we only really get a good dose of the Fremen, not until like the end. And maybe part two, we see more and learn more about the Fremen society or the Fremen species. Um, it just seemed like that they were sprinkled throughout the film, but they didn't really serve much purpose to the story. They only really serve towards a story that is going to eventually unfold in part two. It's like, okay, cool. Introduction of a, of a race, but no exposition on the race. Hmm. Um, and especially because like the race exists within Paul Atreides' vision, so yeah, kind of annoying. 
There's a character called Liet Kynes or Kynes, who is one of the Fremen, played by Sharon Duncan Brewster. She's a great actress, and she performs so well in this as a Fremen、uh, warrior or Fremen soldier or something like that. It's a little ambiguous, like what race she actually comes from, because she she kind of denies that she's a Fremen, but she has the eyes of a Fremen. But then later on, she says she says that she is Fremen. So I don't know what the hell that was about. <laughs> she's a great character, and I wanted to see more of her. And unfortunately, you know, she she dies. But、um, I, I did want to see more of her character. And there is some other guys that are in this that are also playing.、Um, Uh, characters as the Fremen, but where we don't really get much of them. We don't. It's not until the end where there's a little bit on them. There's the altercation that I spoke about between Paul Atreides and that like Fremen leader or something, and then they walk off into the desert. And then,、um, yeah, and, and then apparently part two. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to feel like I want to feel like this is supposed to be a film that I am supposed to appreciate on some kind of different level, all all alongside the major critics and、um, audience members that are rating this super high. I mean, it's eighty three percent on the tomato meter for the critics, and then ninety percent on the audience score.、Uh, I don't know what people are seeing that、uh, that they're loving it so much.、Um, Like here's a little bit of a summary from some of the critics. Not a summary, but just a little bit of an insert from the critics. Dune occasionally struggles with its unwielding source material, but those issues are largely overshadowed by the scope and ambition of the visually thrilling adaptation. See, I agree with that statement. It struggles with its source material, which is that whole story about them trying to get spice and then people fighting over territory、um, and the push to power. Uh, but it's 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 definitely overshadowed by its ambition and the visual thrilling adaptation. That's that's totally true. According to the audience,、uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune looks and sounds amazing, and once admittedly slow building story gets you hooked, you'll be on the edge of your seat for the sequel. You see, there is slow building, definitely, but the whole film, like the whole two hour and thirty five minutes, was slow building. It doesn't really. I was never really hooked in the story. I wasn't really convinced. And they're saying that you'll be on the edge of your seat for the sequel. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't really on the edge of my seat. I was kind of like, I was the only reason why I was on the edge of my seat is because I was ready to get out of my seat. <laughs>、um, it's just, yeah, I, I don't vibe on the same thing. And I've read a couple of reviews where、um, I, that I do see eye to eye to them. And then somewhere I don't see quite eye to eye to them, and they're actually just talking about the things that I didn't really appreciate in the film, which is really interesting. So I didn't think that they did all so well with that storytelling. Like some of these major critics are saying the storytelling is spectacular. So, well, I don't really see it. I don't really see how the storytelling is because it's supposed to be riveting. It's supposed to get under my skin. It's supposed to engage me in a way that the characters that make the story happen. Are the ones that we need to connect to on a level where we're gonna root for them on their way to accomplishing something, on their way to solving the problem that is in their way. We're rooting for them, right? We just don't really get that. Like I wouldn't care less that he's out in the desert looking for 
part of the prophetic vision in the hopes that to find more answers to his future how he could be the number one person it's kind of like that whole um the number one savior savior complex type thing uh, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I just don't really see it So, do I recommend this? Yeah, I do recommend it visually. If you're a person that is that loves and appreciates filmmaking from the technical standpoint, that's cinematography, sound editing, musical score, um, direction, kind of storytelling, <laughs> but many of those things that I've mentioned. If you're a person that appreciates that, I highly recommend it. But if you're looking for a story to grab you by the shoulders and shake you and get you inspired and get you lusting after the sequel, this is probably not the movie for you. <laughs> um, it really takes its time. The two hours and 35 minutes really felt like four hours. And there were so many moments where I, I was just kind of thinking about what I'm going to do the next day or what I'm going to do on the weekend or, or how am I going to do this review <laughs> um yeah i recommend it on that sense so out of 10 i'll probably give this like a seven um and that seven is primarily the technical side to this film um yeah it might be a harsh rating but i'm gonna stand by my rating because that's what i believe it deserves um uh, yeah so with that being said i'm actually gonna bring this review to an end or bring this episode to an end but before I go, but, or before you stop listening, I just want to remind you guys, this is actually a reminder for those who have been listening to my episodes up until this point, and a bit of an announcement for newcomers, me and two other friends are going to be doing a massive two-hour episode that is covering what we've seen and what has happened in the MCU thus far. If you know what I'm talking about when it comes to the MCU, I'm talking about Phase 4. Phase 4 is the lead into a whole new book and a whole new saga um, that is obviously made up of a bunch of movies that, ha that has come out after Spider-Man um, Far From Home. So, yeah, we're going to do a massive two-hour episode. We're going to cover everything possible uh, that is that we've seen in phase four and we're going to talk about a bunch of speculations we're going to talk spoilers as well obviously of all these properties that have come out so far and we're all doing this as a lead up to spider-man no way home spider-man no way home is going to be a massive film to drop for marvel studios and probably going to break records um left right and center so this is a good episode for those of you who don't know much about the mcu but have followed their content consistently all the way from phase one up until phase four now so this is a good episode for you and it's also good for those who are really nerdy super sweat nerd like myself and my mates and want to hear another perspective on uh theories and speculations and characters that we think might jump into the fray and what we think might happen in spider-man no way home so we're gonna do a chunky chunky episode covering all that 
make sure you tune in and don't forget to hit your notification button so you know when that episode drops and also when my next episode which is probably going to be on edgar wright's movie uh last night in soho i'm probably going to drop that sometime this weekend but with that being said i'll bring the sword closed thank you so much for listening in on my podcast legit cool make sure you follow me on instagram which is at legit cool podcast you can find me on facebook legit cool movies and sometimes tv series reviews my name is river billy and i will catch you in the next episode